EcoHealth, your internet radio. Good afternoon and welcome here on Radio EcoHealth. It's the road trip show with Diedrich. Welcome, Diedrich. Afternoon, afternoon again, dear Walt. Always good to be here. And, and, and it's an important day today. It's a very, very important anniversary today. Oh, who's or what? <laughs> uh, don't shoot me down, but today, 363 years ago today, Jan van Riebeek, 1659, old Jan, oh. writes in his diary today, Today, praise be to God, the first wine was made from Cape Grapes. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I thought that's a pretty pretty cool way to start uh, today's podcast. Super important yeah. history. I mean, I mean, we make a joke of it, but understand how important that wine industry is to South Africa as export and as foreign currency yes. owner, as employer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, yeah, you know, apparently the first wine that, that that got produced in the Cape was was not drinkable. Jan van Riebeek actually said it's actually better to drink vinegar than the stuff that he produced, <laughs> pretending to be wine. But. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so today the first wine was made. As Jan says, Eh? As very Jan says, It's always Jan's fault, eh? That I uh, just blame it all on him because he can't argue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, from, from 300, 363 years ago today, I mean, look, look where that wine industry has got to. Yeah. And. We started to get some serious traction on our downloads, and the downloads seem to be going quite quite viral. You know, we're getting very very nice numbers on on our downloads awesome. at the moment on the podcast. So, and the last couple of episodes we did we did the N two, the N two obviously being our longest national road to two thousand two hundred fifty five kilometers, um, all sure. the way from from Cape Town right through to Ermelo. Okay. And I thought, well, what you can do now is let's go onto the onto the N1, uh, seeing as that's the second longest one, the N1 yeah. stretching from Cape Town to Bite Bridge. And just for interest sake, the shortest one, the shortest one is actually the N18, which okay. is only 317 kilometers. Okay. And the N18 is from Warrington through Freiburg and Mahikeng to the Ramatlabama border post with Botswana. And a couple of interesting <laughs> spots on that on that Ramatlabama border post. <laughs> And there's a couple of really interesting. I mean, Mafeking, this the 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 the, the, the site of one of the big sieges during the Anglo-Boer War. Warrington, Freiburg, you know, a lot of foot trekker stuff there, a lot of um, Anglo-Boer War stuff in those areas. So that that's that's going to be an interesting one. But uh, we we'll we'll talk about the N18. We don't have 18 national roads. There's a couple missing. I think number 13 is missing. There's no N13 <laughs> because of the connotations of, of number 13, obviously, bad luck road. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think we have an N15. Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think there's an N15, but I can I can triple I can triple check that one. Is there a 19? No, there's no 19. <laughs> All the odd numbers <laughs> are out. <laughs> But I thought what we could do is we could tackle the. We'll start tackling the N1 now. The N1, 1,940 kilometers of national road from yeah. Cape Town through to Bite Bridge, and the N1 is that highway that, in theory, through the Africa Roads Network, you can actually get all the way up to Cairo. Oh, so yeah. that that's that's where that comes from. And it's it's funny because it, I was looking and prepare, preparing for today's show, and the N1 seems to feature in an awful lot of the podcasts we've done already. A lot of the little bits and pieces and towns and things we've we've oh, already yeah. sort of covered in, on in previous podcasts. 
And it just shows how important it is because you keep on coming back to the N1. It's one of yes. the main arterial roads, and obviously it's, a, it's the major carrier of goods between Johannesburg and Cape Town. Yes. And seeing as our railway system is... Uh, Almost non-existent. Almost non-existent, or should we say slightly stressed at this stage. Road yeah. transport has obviously taken over on containers and etc., etc. So that N1 is, 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 is an absolute vital lifeline. Yeah. And on the one previous broadcast where I think it's titled sort of Johannesburg to Cape Town, tar, tar, tar or dirt from Liu Hamka, um, I took that dirt road that time because the N1 was actually at a, at a gridlock. Oh, the yeah. N1 came to a standstill. You were, we were parked in traffic in the middle of the Karoo on the N1. Yeah. So that just made no sense. So we decided to take a detour up and we went up through, um, I think it was Fraserburg, and then up through, through the Karoo. Absolutely stunning, stunning, stunning drive that we had that day. But I think let's concentrate on the tar road, the N1 right up to Bitebridge. And we've covered quite a fair bit of it, so I'll be referring to a couple of previous podcasts and stuff, and maybe that boosts our downloads a little bit. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, forcing, f- forcing people to go listen to the other, di- the other podcast. <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll, start, we'll start down in Cape Town. Seeing as we started the N2 in Cape Town, we'll, we'll, we'll start the N1 in Cape Town as well. And it starts at the foreshore in Cape Town. So Cape Town itself, we'll have to do... On its own, seeing there's so much to see and do in and around Cape Town. I mean, one of the podcasts we had was just just the Peninsula route. The yeah. Cape Peninsula tour was an entire podcast on its own, and there's so much else to do in Cape Town. But as you head out on on that N1, and you're heading out, you're sort of going out past um, Paro and Belleville, and the first spot, let's call it outside of Cape Town, as it were, really, you've gone past Klapmitz, and the first spot you really see is the Tal Monument. Oh, yes. On the left yeah. of the highway up on, on the, the Perlberg, the, the Pearl Mountain. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite monuments. We've covered that in, one of, in, in, the, in the, um, the, top, the top ten, one of those top ten um, podcasts that we had. Yeah. And the Afrikaans Language Monument. Now, I think at last count we hit, I think it was 13 language monuments or 14 language monuments. We were counting yes. them at one stage. Yeah. Dotted around South Africa. But this obviously is the main one because Paul was actually the birthplace of Afrikaans. And when we go into Paul just now, um, there's a couple of spots dedicated exactly to just the Afrikaans language. Yeah. And Afrikaans was declared as an official language in 1925 by the National Party under General J.B.M. Herzog. Okay. And Afrikaans, we've gone into the Afri- development of Afrikaans, but I think that was an entirely Afrikaans episode for those, for those listeners that don't understand Afrikaans. Afrikaans is a language that, that comes from all the immigrant languages in, in, that, that arrived in the Cape. It's obviously predominantly Dutch, but it got transmogrified into something different with the import of the Cape Malay, of the Malay slaves, of the Portuguese influence, the English influence, the German influence, yeah. the French, particularly the French influence when the French Huguenots came into South Africa. And eventually the spoken language was something completely different to the high Dutch that was the, the, the written language. Yes. And it eventually got recognized that this is an entirely new language. And, and, and an organization called uh, the, the Genootskap van Rechte Afrikaners, or the Organization mm. of True Afrikaners, um, started to process and start to make Afrikaans into an official language. Yeah. And the monument up on Pal Mountain, 
beautiful symbolic monument shows the development the influences and of the different cultures and stuff bringing Afrikaans through and for me when you even when you don't go to the monument itself you see that beautiful spire that big tower standing up on the mountain and the symbolism of that is how language pulls culture and people with it in a certain way to develop and I I love that, 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 that allegory because I do believe that your language influences culture and culture influences yes. language and, and your language to a certain extent I I believe determines kind of the way you think. Yeah. Yes. Because of the meanings of words, the deeper meanings of words and things. So the like, Afrikaans language <laughs> monument up there on the on, on the mountain is 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 absolutely beautiful. Besides the fact that you get the most stunning views out over the Pal Valley. Yeah. Um, just the symbolism behind that man, that monument makes it worth worth going to. Yeah, well, I like the word "ish." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ish, ish, ish. Uh, that, that's one of our, our indigenous language, I think, uh, imports. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But when you go into Paul, and we're just going to do it sort of chronologically, if you come off 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 the N1 and you go into Paul, the first the first museum which you can get to is called Het Gesticht Museum. Ah. And it was originally a church, and then it was a school. It was a house for slaves, and it was actually built for the Palm Missionary Society. 1817, it gets handed over, and then until 1841, it's used by the, the Zionist Church, and then eventually, 2021, it becomes a little museum. And it's a, it's a religious museum. It shows the religious development in that Drakenstein community or in that, in that, in that Pal, Pal Valley. Yeah. And again, all those influences, you got the English, the French, the, the, the Dutch, the Malays, all those, and especially in those early days, the huge missionary um, input into, yes. into South Africa. Then you've actually got an Afrikaans language museum. Oh. And Afrikaans is a couple of interesting things about Afrikaans. It's the youngest language in Africa. Okay. The brand new language. <coughs> yeah. And... The, the museum is in a house that once belonged to a chappy by the name of Gideon Malherba, and he was one of the founding members of the Genootskap of Rechte Afrikaners. Okay. So the museum is in a perfect little spot there. Yeah. And it, the entire museum is about the history, the diversity of Afrikaans. The original press is on, on display where the first Afrikaans newspaper was printed, Die Patriot. Ah, okay, <laughs> Die Patriot. 1875. And that's why that 1975 <laughs> opening of the Pal Monument was, is, um, is so important, because this 1975 was the centenary of the official birth of Afrikaans, and I consider the printing of that first newspaper, etc., etc., yes. as the birth of the official language, because the first time the written language corresponded with the spoken language, and not, not two yeah. entirely different, yes. different things there. <laughs> then we've got a little spot called the um, Pal Gymnasium, which is uh, kind of one of the more famous schools. And it was done in response to the fact that the British colonial government at one stage only funded and subsidized English-speaking schools because the British obviously didn't like the fact that, that so many people spoke Afrikaans. They were really, yeah. really seriously anti, anti-Afrikaans. Yes. So the Afrikaners and the Gunnerskaferecht Afrikaners all get together and then they started... Um, subsidizing their own Afrikaans-speaking schools. Yes. So that's why the Pal Gymnasium is so important. And, and it dates back already to 1858. And it, um, 
interesting thing is it's, it's actually the foundation of what eventually started being called the Christian National Education System, the good old Afrikaans Christian-based education okay. system that we've had for years yes. and years and years in the old Afrikaans schools. Yeah. And the Reverend Dutoy, S.J. Dutoy, actually received his education there, and he pops up a little bit later on in our story today. And just an interesting fact, the Paul Gymnasium is very, very focused on sports. And just an interesting piece of trivia, is since 1902, 74 alumni of that school have received national colors in 22 different types of sport. Okay, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> just a, a weird, a weird yeah. little, 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 little fact. <laughs> then you've got the Tourankerk, all these little towns, obviously, with, with, with fantastic churches. And that, re- that replaced the famous, uh, what they used to call the Stroiduck Kerk. Okay. Then we've also got the Palm Museum. And that is about the actual history and the culture and the community of that, of that Palm Valley. And it's beautiful old furniture. There's a large of old, old silver, all those Dutch VOC silver. Yes, yeah. And those porcelains, that beautiful blue and white Delft yes. porcelain kind of stuff. And those massive pieces of old Dutch furniture kind of Cape Dutch stuff yeah. is, in, is in, the, in the Palm Museum. Nice. And um, an interesting one is in, 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 the, in the gardens is a little gravestone of a man who was executed for murdering his slave. Oh. It's just a strange one because slave was considered property and you could do what yeah. you liked, etc., etc. Somehow this one got turned around and he murdered his slave and he got, got executed for murdering his slave. Okay. That's just an interesting, yeah. an interesting piece of law. Maybe one of our lawyer <laughs> listeners can, un- can unravel that mystery for us. Yes. Then if you, if you go out, out of Paul, a little bit off the road, and the, and the reason we're putting him in here is that we've actually got the, the, the grave a little bit to the north of the, of the highway of the Reverend S.J. Dutoy, Stephanus Jacobus Dutoy. And he was born and he died in the little, little spot that we now call Dal Yosefat. Okay. And chairman of the Genootskap of Rechte Afrikaners, that's hence his importance in, in Paul. Yeah. And um, he was also the founder of the Gedenkschool der Huguenote, the Huguenot Memorial School. Okay. And he was also founding member of the political party of the Afrikanerbond. Afrikanerbond. So, eventually he became superintendent of education of the Transvaal and became newspaper idiot, editor, etc., etc. And his, and his son was the famous poet, Jacobus Daniel de Toy, known as Tusius. Okay. So that that's where yeah. that's where that, that little piece of, of history comes from. But then as you're coming out of Paul, the entire road in front of you is dominated by those beautiful mountains that you see in front of you. Yeah. And we also again we mentioned Detoy because now you you've got a choice. You either go over the Detoy Kloof Pass yeah. or you go through the Detoy Kloof <laughs> tunnel. So, <laughs> the pass is a is is an amazing drive. Yeah, it is obviously longer than the tunnel, and it's quite a climb. And it's, there's there's bits and pieces where it is a, is actually kind of kind of scary. But construction of that pass took about seven years, built by Italian prisoners of war. We seem to put so we captured a lot of Italians during World War Two. Yeah, and we we definitely put them to work all over the place, and uh, they were master road builders yes. and engineers. So. They, they got put to work, and I can only imagine working, working out in the open is better than sitting in a prisoner of war camp. Oh, yes. <laughs> I would sure. imagine. 
but eventually completed in 1949 and opened by um, Dr. D.F. Malanda, then Prime Minister of South Africa. And it goes over the Klein Drakenstein Mountains. It used to be part of the N1, but it's now the RDN 101. Um, and whenever you see those ones, N101, you know, the, the R102 is the old N2 between Joburg and Dur, or, the, it's, you know, or, or yeah. between uh, Cape Town and, and, and Ermelo. The, N, the R103 is next to the N3. So yeah. it's, now, it's now part of the R101. And it became that after the opening of the Huguenot Tunnel in 1988. And it's, it's the, it actually goes right next to the highest peak in the Western Cape. It reaches just under 1,995 meters above sea level. Okay. So yeah. some absolutely beautiful stopping spots and viewpoints yes. on that mountain pass. Just don't be on a hurry on that road because a lot of the trucks actually still use that road to avoid paying the toll fees in the tunnel. Yes, so the, 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 the truck drivers decide to go up the windy windies in the mountain pass rather than pay the couple of bucks to get through the tunnel. Yeah, And the, the Huguenot Tunnel itself is an amazing piece of engineering. And as you're coming up from Paul, you've got this long bridge that first takes. Now, the bridge is on an incline and it's cambered at the same time. Yeah. And there's little wind socks and stuff on the side so that you can actually judge the wind speed as you're going up over that bridge that you don't get yeah. blown over it. <laughs> yes, because in Cape Town, when when the when that southeaster really blows, I mean, you've I've seen trucks being blown onto their sides before yeah. in Cape Town. So, so buses, it's not it's not yeah. there just for fun. <laughs> but then you hit that tunnel. The tunnel is three thousand nine hundred and thirteen meters. So there's just under four kilometers worth of tunnel that drills straight through those mountains. Yeah, it took four years to build. Eighty four, eighty eight. It was eventually opened um, in March nineteen eighty eight at a cost of one hundred twenty five million rand. Sure. At that time, yeah. But what amazes me, the the tunnel, in my head, is a bit of an S. So you you enter the the tunnel, you, there's a slight bend to the one side, there's a slight bend to the other side, where you then come out. Yeah. And they started drilling the tunnel from both sides at the same time. Okay. And when they met in the middle, the error was three millimeters. Ah. Three millimeters. Three millimeters a, over yeah. each drilling piece did two <coughs> kilometers. <coughs> Sure. That's that's class engineering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's seriously classy classy engineering. But it's an amazing tunnel. I mean, you drive through it. It's got speed control. It's got aircon. It's got fire warnings. It's got a separate tunnel next to it. It's got escape hatches and escape routes. It's got its own aerial system inside, so you can get the radio broadcast all coming through. Yeah. It's it's an it's an incredible incredible piece of engineering. Uh, you, do you know who built it? Ah, uh, no. I can find that one out. That, yeah, 1988, I don't know. Yeah. Let's have a look. There's this amazing thing called Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's, let's have a look. Toys <laughs> Tunnel. Let's, let's, see what, let's see what pops up there. Yeah. <clears throat> let's see. Let's have a look. Yeah. Anyway, but once once you've gone through that through that tunnel, you, you hit the most amazing, beautiful valleys and stuff on the other side, and you're now coming out through Rawsonville, and yeah. then your first little town there is Worcester. I think you've got a connection to Worcester, don't yes, you? Yes, I do. Yeah. I seem to remember you had yeah. a connection to Worcester. <laughs> you've got the Karoo National or the Karoo Desert National Botanical Gardens there, one of our national botanical gardens, yeah. which is a fantastic visit. 
And you've got the Worcester Museum. Now, the Worcester Museum, there's two little spots together. You've got the actual museum. You've got a little spot called Klein Plassey. Ah, uh, I love Klein Plassey. Yeah. <laughs> I love that <laughs> The little place. outdoor farm farm museum spot, and they, 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 they yeah. show the old traditional crafts, <laughs> and they've got live, live demonstrations. You can baking bread and blacksmiths and, and the forging and mampur, mampur, there we go. <laughs> You know, they show you the sheep shearing and the cows and candles and all sorts of stuff at Klein Plassey. The Klein Plassey is a really cool little spot uh, to visit as well. And you can go there. uh, They've got a restaurant there and everything. So you can spend the whole day if you want. Yeah. No, it's 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 definitely one of those little spots that is that's worth that's worth a visit. Yeah. And then then what then after that, you're actually now getting up into the Hex River Valley. Again, for me, one of the most spectacular passes is going up that 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 mountain through to get up through to the Durans. Yeah. Again, careful, careful drive, but it's a stunning road. The most amazing views and mountains through the Cape Fold Mountains, and that's an entire lecture all on its own. The geology, <laughs> yeah. the geology of those of of those mountains. Hex River Valley, obviously named out, named because it's been hexed, and there's a the legend of a of a pretty girl who was being courted by a lot of young men and as a test yeah. she sent them up the mountain to go and pick a particular type of flower and the one guy that she was keen on fell to his death yeah. and she died of grief and now she spooks that valley <laughs> so uh, <laughs> then then we get to toes river and Toes River is one of those little spots that we're going to encounter a good couple of times in South Africa, which it used to be a very, very important um, railway junction. <coughs> and that goes back to the days of steam locomotives. Yeah. And a lot of it had to do with the discovery of diamonds in Kimberley and the necessity for goods and transport and the opening up of the interior. And the Cape Colony needed a railway line. So the first Prime Minister of the of the Cape, a guy by the name of John Maltino, concocts this plan to connect the towns of the Cape's interior with Cape Town. And it took them a while, but then eventually they managed to get through those mountains. Now, if you drive those mountains, you can understand that getting a train up through them is is spectacular engineering. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a spectacular <coughs> feat of engineering to get that thing there. So the Toes River Station or Stays River, yeah, station dates back to 1883. And of course, it is a massively important stop because after that long slug up from Cape Town, up that mountain pass, they needed to stop for water. Yeah. So Toes River was a rewatering spot for the railways. Yeah. And obviously, now that steam is slowly disappearing and not as important as, it's, as it used to be, a lot of these little railway towns are slowly dying. Yes. Yeah. And there is a a little memorial to those glory days of steam. There's a beautiful old locomotive in town there. You actually got to go off the road and into town and, and go around the back end a little bit to go and find it. But it's an old, it's an old class 23 locomotive garden, locomotive sitting at the, at the municipal gardens and it date, dates back to sort of 1938 or so. So I don't know what, if it's still being looked after, but uh, at least it can't yeah. be stolen. It's a little bit big and heavy to get stolen. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Then what we then of course are going up the road, and we're now sort of starting to get into the proper Karoo areas, and our next little spot is Mikey's Fontaine. Ah, there we go. 
Nah, we've been through Mikey's Fontaine. We've been through Mikey's Fontaine. An entire episode is dedicated to Mikey's Fontaine, so I can recommend you go and have a listen yeah. to that one. Stunning little place, full of history, full of nice little weird stories. And you've got to visit that little graveyard just before you get into Mikey's Fontaine. About 10, 12 kilometers before you get to Mikey's Fontaine is the little graveyard on the right-hand side with General Whitechope in it. Yes. And uh, I'm not going to tell you the story of that one now because it is, is, is around, and it's worth just stopping there or going into Mikey's Fontaine to actually listen to that, to that story. Yeah. It's now beautiful Karoo, Karoo countryside, and now you hit the little town called Lanesburg. And it's a weird one because Lanesburg is chiefly remembered for the floods that hit it in 1981. Yes. But now when you yeah. drive into Lanesburg, it's dry, dusty, nothing. It's nothing. It's dry, dusty, Karoo, desert, desert yeah. kind of area. And somehow some storms in the interior just collected water and Lanesburg would hit, hit with this massive, massive flood. And there's a little memorials and little plaques all over town. And there's actually a flood route. You can actually follow a flood route. They put up little info yeah. boards around town where you can walk or you can drive around and have a look at the more important bits and pieces of, of this flood. And then in town, as you come into town and just before you hit the main corner, the, the big corner in town, there's the little, little spot called the Flood Museum. And... It's a kind of sobering little museum with the photographs of, of the town underwater and the floods yes. and the damaged houses and, and everything else. But it's just a good good memorial, or memorial, shall we put it, to say, you know, guys, this can happen. You're in yeah. a Karoo town. But if you look at the geography around <coughs> Lanesburg, you can see it's flat. And there's, if you look on Google Maps, for example, everywhere around it, there's little floodplains. So it's obviously a yeah. massive water catchment area. And yeah, in 1981, that happened. Yes. The museum also has a very, very nice little Afrikaner collection called the Wolfhart Afrikaner Collection. And it's stuff right from the Great Trek, Anglo-Boer War, sorry, Second War of Independence or War of Freedom or yeah. what else did we decide to call it? There are three <laughs> names, I think, there. And there's a lot of good, very nice display there of uh, traditional items from the Western Cape's indigenous community, from the Khoi and the Khoisan. Yes. So even just from that point of view, Lanesburg is, is worth a stop. Now, a little short way out of Lanesburg, as you're now heading up north, you actually get to the first of the block houses. Now... The one just outside Lanesburg is one of the, the better ones. It's been restored. It's right next to the highway, and it's no effort to get there. But what always amazes me with that blockhouse is we, what, we 300 kilometers or something out of Cape Town. Yeah. And we are still now, I don't know, six 700 kilometers from the border of the old South African Republic. Okay. And it shows how far south... The war actually extended that the British had to build defenses so close to Cape Town. Yes. Everybody thinks Boer War, Boer War, ah, Transvaal Free State. No. Yeah. The defenses started just outside of Lanesburg. Okay. Because the blockhouses yeah. was, was an eventual answer to try and curb the mobility of the Boer forces. The, the Anglo-Boer War started off as a conventional war. The Boers just could not handle that kind of conventional attrition war against the British. Yes. And it then, after August 1900, 
transformed into a very mobile guerrilla type warfare. The British Army, still an old Victorian age type of army, you could say, had never got into this mobility thing and could not keep up with these mobile Boer commandos. Yeah. So their answer was then to put up these blockhouses, rows and rows and rows and rows of these blockhouses, all within sight of each other, connected by barbed wire fences to try and stop the mobility of these Boers and to stop the Boers going to farms and getting resupplied and stuff. <coughs> and you go into this, this blockhouse and you go in there and each of these blockhouses garrisoned by 10, 15, 20, 30 troops, depending on the size of it. Yes. But you can imagine now being stationed there for six or seven months in the cooking heat of the Karoo. It's got a corrugated iron yeah. roof. It hasn't got windows. <laughs> it's got portholes that you can shoot. But, I mean, big windows are inviting rifle fire into the place. Obviously, you're not yes. going to have windows for ventilation. So you've <laughs> created this, this block oven. Yeah. And it just could not have been nice to be stationed in one of these blockhouses. Yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> And the blockhouses predominantly were put around railway sidings. They were put around bridges next to rivers, you know, where the strategic points and uh, little places like that were. So it's just an interesting stop. You stop there, you can get into this blockhouse, you have a look at this, and you think, wow, you know, you're sitting there for six months or whatever it is, and that just could not, yeah, just could not, could not have been nice. Then we keep on going, and now we really into the Karoo. Now the next little town is Liuhamka. And okay, uh, I think before we continue with Liuhamka, I think let's go listen to some music, and then we'll be back and continue with Liuhamka. Hundred percent. And we are back on the road trip show here on Radio Eco Health with Diedrich, and we are continuing with Liuhamka. Yeah, Liuhamka, real little dusty, dusty nothing little town. There is an old blockhouse in Liuhamka as well. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think Liuhamka is, again, was an old railway railway siding. There's a little water water point there. So that that's where, where it originally came from. Yeah. But I think at this point, the saving grace of Liuhamka is the biltong shop on the outside of town. <laughs> 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 got to have, have biltong on a road trip. Sorry, yeah. it's one of those essentials. You don't, you don't have any any option there. But now, again, it's Karoo area. It's just flat. Look, I love that Karoo. I just love the Karoo area anyway. Um, those, those, those long, long, long straight roads, little flat-topped mountains, little copies everywhere. Yeah. And just just stunning, absolutely beautiful countryside. I, I love cruising cruising through the Karoo. Then, of course, we hit Beaufort West, one of the major, one of the bigger towns there. And Beaufort West, known for a couple of things, but... Uh, one of the stranger ones is that it's got two old pear trees that are under under some quite uh, strict conservation laws. Okay. Because they date back to 1850 and 1860. Those sure. times, dusty, dusty roads, hot, no air con, and the entire population yeah. of Beaufort West was encouraged to plant trees. And instead of planting the sort of normal exotic stuff, the town council actually quite innovative and said, why don't we plant fruit trees? Yeah. So that number one, we can get a harvest. Number two, it's still trees, and there's a whole yeah. lot of economic benefits. We can sell the fruit down to Cape Town, etc. So there's two old trees that date back to 1850 and 1860. Yes. So they planted pear trees and almond trees and other nuts and that kind of stuff. And so those two trees are actually still on the sidewalk in okay. in, in Beaufort West. <laughs> <laughs> there's always a little war memorial in Beaufort West, and both World War One, World War Two. And again, South Africans were known as the Springboks. 
So the name Springbok has gone across our sporting teams. Our soldiers were known as Springboks. Yeah, oh, the, yeah. The, the Air Force was known as the Springboks. And that's also because the Union Defence Force at the time of the, the, the uh, Springbok emblem. And yeah. those memorials dotted on these towns. And again, it sort of shows you how far these world wars reached. That these guys, there's, there's names on there from the 1914 1918 conflict, World War I, where, where the Springboks fought in, in Belgium, Flanders, and in France. Okay. World War II all over the place. We fought in Korea. We fought in German Southwest Africa. We fought in German East Africa, now Tanzania, <laughs> in World War I as well. You know, so the South Africans, I don't know, the South Africans always seem to <laughs> be quite keen in a good fight. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a couple of, of, of really big names. I mean, you look at Field Marshal Jan Smuts as an example, brilliant, brilliant tactician yeah. and soldier. You know, I think one of the highest scoring aces in World War II was Sailor Milan, South African, yeah. in, the, in the Royal Air Force. But the other interesting spot in Beaufort West is the Chris Barnard Museum. Chris Barnard hails from oh, Beaufort yes. West. That's right. And he obviously did the first successful heart transplant, I think it was 1967, was that one at the Grotescue Hospital in Cape Town? Yeah, and there's a little Chris Barnard museum there, and uh, it's the whole Barnard family history as well as all the awards and things given to Barnard, obviously because he pioneered that yeah. that that surgery. And the little chapel at the back, Adam Adam Barnard, Chris's father, actually preached in the church in town there. So the Barnard family's got a long history. Yes, in going Beaufort, back into yeah. into Beaufort West. One of the oldest churches in South Africa is also there in Beaufort West. The 12th oldest church goes back to 1820. So in the beautiful old Dutch Reformed Church yeah. again, like my old, like my theory, the smaller the town, the bigger the church in South Africa. <laughs> but these yeah. churches, you know, that's actually it's actually stunning because you, you drive up the main road and the church is normally slap bang in the middle of town, and you've got a little yeah. traffic circle, and this church dominates this entire little town. Yeah. And it, it hails back to the days of ox wagons when the trek boers and the, the would would come in on for their monthly nachmal, yeah. and they'd come into the church and they needed space to turn the wagons. So most of those traffic circles are the way a wagon would turn with a span of twelve or eighteen oxen. That, yeah. that determined the circumference of the circle, <laughs> and then yeah. uh, then the space in between there would be where the guys would actually outspan or start camping for their nachmal celebrations, and they yeah. spend two, three, four, five days camping there, catching up on the social life, meeting up with all the people again. And the, sort of that, that Nachmal or the communion became a, a huge social event. Yes. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Lots of wine. Yeah. Coming out of Beaufort <laughs> West, you're heading north again, flat, flat nothing, Nelspoort. And then there's another little blockhouse on the corner there at a little spot called Kromrefier. <coughs> So all of those all of those places are are around there, and just a funny one because now now we're heading up to um, to three sisters. Oh yes, and three sisters gets its name from three little copies, three little hillocks that yeah. that dominate that, and it's, it's quite an important junction because it's the junction of the N12 and the N1. <laughs> so that 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 is your your route then up through. If you wanted to take the N12, you'd eventually sort of go up through Victoria West, Britstown, and then eventually a slightly different route through to Johannesburg if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, sort of through Hopetown to Kimberley, actually. Yes. So that would take you up the up the, the Diamond route. 
But one of the more interesting little spots there is, is you actually cross over just as you get out of, um, you pass that blockhouse of Crom River and you're heading to Three Sisters, you actually cross the border into the Northern Cape. You hit okay. Three Sisters in the Northern Cape and just outside Three Sisters you cross back into the Western Cape. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's weird. And there's an interesting, there's an interesting little Facebook page that I, that I follow. And they, 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 at one stage, I think they had a challenge. They wanted to do seven provinces in one day. And oh, they yeah. centered on this little spot because you can, you can cross around there. You can cross between Western Cape, Northern Cape, and Free State within like 100 k's. So, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then you carry on. And there's now you start getting to a gaggle of, of the smaller little towns. And Richmond. Richmond is one of my favorite little stopping spots as well. It's if you stay on the highway, you go screaming past it, and then all you see, you know, that that you the the road is a little bit raised, and Richmond is down a little valley on your right hand side. Yeah. But Richmond is worth a little stop. And what makes it so cool there is you've actually got a saddle horse museum. Okay, saddle horse. <laughs> a museum. saddle horse museum okay. in Richmond, <laughs> and the saddle horse. I think it's obviously a lot bigger in um, in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, ra- rather than in South Africa, but the Saddle Horse Museum in Richmond is one of two museums of its type in the world. Okay. So kind of unusual spot to find yes. in the middle of this little town in Richmond. Um, again, fantastic little built-on shop in Richmond. I've got to go to the built-on <laughs> shop in Richmond. But there's another really cool little spot in Richmond, which is a, a bookshop. It's one of, the, one of the larger bookshops. And if you're ever looking for an antique book or a book that's out of print, you go to Richmond. There's, the story is that this guy managed to buy the old library stocks when a lot of the libraries, provincial libraries were closing down. Oh, yes. And he bought up all these stocks for next to nothing. Yeah. And he's now he's, he's combined two or three houses into one great big bookshop. Sure. And you walk in there and it's just books. It's just books on the floor, on the ceiling. On the, everywhere there's books. There's books. Yeah. There's piles of books everywhere. And if you ask the guy for something, he actually knows where it is. And that's the most amazing thing. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that must be uh, quite a trick to pull off. Yeah, so Richmond, again, one of those funny little spots that is that is worth definitely worth a stop. Richmond, Hanover, as you know, going up, up the highway again. And if you, if you don't bother to stop at these little towns... They all tend to sort of blur into one. You actually can't remember which one is which and why one's different to the other one because all malls kind of look the same. But Hanover, again, one of these tiny little towns. There's a, there's a couple of petrol stops, and again, it's a it's a it's a junction. Like a whole gaggle of roads come together yeah. in 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 Hanover. The N the N ten crosses the N one. Over okay. there, and you've got two, two, three other major provincial routes that come in through in, into Hanover. So it's a pretty logical place for a town. Just on the outskirts of town, another massive church, the Dutch Reformed Church in there, designed by an Australian. An Australian architect designed this one. Okay. I can't remember Henry Ford, strangely enough. <laughs> and uh, it's one of the older congregations. The church was started just after 1900, or this particular church. But what makes this, this worthy of mention is the first minister of that congregation was a guy by the name of Reverend Thomas Francois Burgers, who okay. started his ministry in 1869. Now, I don't know if that name rings a bell with you, Thomas Burgers. Yeah, it Thomas does Francois kind of. Burgers. It does, yeah. Vague, vaguely is ringing some bells because um, 
He was president of the old Transvaal Republic before, oh. before Kruger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That means. Yeah. Now. So yeah. So from from minister in a dusty town of Hanover, you become prime minister <laughs> of a republic. Yeah. So I think that guy obviously had a um, a very very interesting life story as well. Apparently, he was too liberal for the church oh. or for the members, and that's why he left okay. the ministry and went into politics. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, there's an interesting connection that in the middle of the Northern Cape there, or the dusty end of the Northern Cape, suddenly the minister becomes the prime minister or the president of the, of the old Transvaal Republic or the yeah. Zuid-Afrikaanse Republic. <laughs> and there's still a tree in the courtyard there that was planted by him that has still survived, an old cypress tree. Okay. <laughs> awesome. But then in town as well, and I always find it quite an interesting little, again, um, contrast Probably one of the smallest churches I've ever been to. I mean, the smallest church we know of is the one at the top of Van Rienen's Pass. That's the time. That's the smallest little ch- church that, that, that I think okay. that exists in South Africa. Yeah. I think it seats 12 people. Oh, myself. <laughs> it's okay. a tiny that, little thing. Yeah, that is It's a tiny. beautiful... It's a, look, and it's a favorite little wedding venue, and a, it's a stunning <laughs> little spot. You stop at the top of Van Rienen's Pass, yeah. you know, between Joburg and Durban. You, you've got to stop at that little church there. But this little church, I don't think, is much bigger. And it's the Anglican Church. So you can see the Dutch Reformed Church has got this massive building in town. Yeah. And you, and you duck, duck down the back road in, in Hanover and you see this tiny little church behind this tiny little gate. And that's the Anglican Church. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And then our next, our next town, again, it's just beautiful, beautiful country driving through. You actually get up to Colesburg. Colesburg. Now, Colesburg, again, big junction town. It's where the start or the end of the N9 is that, that, that goes down towards Port Elizabeth direction. Yeah. But Colesburg, one of those little towns, unfortunately, that seems to get be becoming bypassed by the, by the new highway. He used to drive through all these little towns. Yes. But with the construction of the new N1, all these little towns get bypassed. And to a certain extent... Yes, it makes sense. Get the traffic out of town and get the traffic flowing. But it obviously harms the economy of these little towns. They just don't quite get the traffic through that they should be getting and the attention that they should be getting. Yes. But I've always got fond memories of Colesburg because it was the inspiration for me to actually start the road trip. (laughs) At that stage, the road trip app, and that's transmogrified into all sorts of other things at the moment. Yes. Uh, Particularly this podcast. Because I was driving through Colesburg, and at the bottom end of town... If you're coming from the north, you go through town and you've got to take a little bend around the church, out of normal. And right there, there's this funny little steel monumenty thing sticking up out of a flower bed. Okay. And something made me stop there and go, what? What? In, it, it looked vaguely like something that, that a florist had left behind. You know, like, okay. a, like a flower trellis kind of thing. Yeah. And it turns out to be that it's a memorial for the Jubilee of Britain's Queen Victoria. Okay. Now, Victoria was, again, one of these larger-than-life characters. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but she reigned for 64 years. And the Jew, she has the dubious distinction of having a war being waged somewhere by the British every single year of her reign. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, somewhere, along, somewhere on the planet, the British were busy fighting with someone for every single year. During during her reign, and obviously reign. South Africa saw a fair amount of those yes. with the with the with the conflicts on the in, in the Eastern Cape borders with the Anglo Zulu War, the first Anglo Boer War, the second Anglo Boer War. Yeah, you know, and she she died in 1901. But 
that little memorial may I get I got out the car and I had a look at it and there's a little inscription on there and it was a little memorial raised by public subscription from the residents of Colesburg to commemorate Victoria's centenary okay and I went wow that's that's kind of cool and interesting I'm gonna start looking and remembering these kind of things and from there the 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 idea of, of getting this app going with yes. all these monuments and museums and points of interest and weird bits of history actually yeah. started there in Colesburg. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> Again, that church that I had to detour around to go and see the little monument is uh, also dates back to 1826. And the name Colesburg comes from uh, Sir Galbraith Lowry Cole, donated a whole lot of... Um, money and land to the church and then the district and everything becomes after sir cole starts becoming known as colesburg okay and he donated a whole lot of acres and land there so that's that's where the name colesburg comes from there's a little museum in town as well which is a kind of cool one called the kemper museum which is the whole history and it's a beautiful example of that 19th century Karoo architecture yeah and that's again, it's almost like the Cape Dutch thing is, a, is an architecture style on its own. The Karoo architecture is its own thing as well. The little stoops and like that nice lacy yes, yeah. filigree stuff around the verandas and things like that. It was a bank. It was a, first it was a bank and then eventually oh, it, became, okay. it became a museum. Again, and it's got fossils, a lot of fossils in the Karoo. And I think we, we spoke about the fossils when we chatted on that, the dirt road thing up through Fraserburg. Yes. That Fraserburg has got this amazing collection of fossils as well. Yeah. And these these are going back, I don't know, I forget the exact number, 600 and something million years ago, whatever it was. And the sort of, we made the joke then about the, the proto-dinosaurs. Yes. These are these weird things that are crossed between like a lizard and a frog and, and, and a bit... <laughs> that Karoo area is one of the, 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 the dinosaur and fossil hotspots in the world. There's also um, some interesting history about the Karoo nomads. And those are what are also sort of referred to as the donkey cart people. The okay. whole community, almost the equivalent of the kind of the gypsies or the, the Roma yeah. in Europe. South Africa had the same kind of, okay. kind of thing. And... Colesburg is relatively close to the diamond areas. A little way up the road is Hopetown, Hopetown where, this, where the first diamond in South Africa was discovered. Yes. And there's a nice little display in, in the Kemper Museum in Colesburg about the diamonds and the discovery of diamonds and obviously the massive impact that that had on South Africa and the, the entire history of South Africa and the eventual working out of the you know, you think about it, that discovery brought out Cecil John Rhodes and it brought out that imperialism and brought yes. out the British. So that one stupid little shiny stone had <laughs> such an unbelievable impact on yeah. South Africa. And of course, that South Africa um, eventually, eventually had to take. Then, of course, now, now we're heading up and eventually now cross the border again into the Free State and we're on the Kharib River. And it's one of those surprising things. It's dusty, nothing flat. Suddenly you see this band of green in front of you, and you're on the Kharib River, previously known as the Orange River. Yes. And that is one of our major, our, one of our major, major rivers there. <coughs> and just, again, take, take that little turn off and go down to the Kharib Dam. 
at the moment it's full. It's a full for the first time in years yeah, again. Oh, many years. In, absolutely in many, many years. And it was built in 1972. It's a 73-meter high wall. So it's a huge, it is an unbelievably huge, huge construction. Sure. And I just need to work this out. I'm not sure how to, it's 5,673,778 cubic meters of water. So I don't know if 5,000 wow. million is a, is, is, is a billion. I don't know. I, I, I forget those numbers. I'm not rich enough to yeah, know what the difference yeah. between a million and a billion. But mm. it is an unbelievably spectacular construction. And I remember stopping there once with a, with a small tour, a little, little 10 or 12-seater bus. And because in a little bus, you, you, know, you make up a lot of time on, this, on what we call the standard itineraries. If you stop with a yeah. bus and you've got 35 or 40 people on board, every single time you stop, you lose 45 minutes, guaranteed. It can be a five-minute toilet stop. It takes you 45 minutes before we'll start again. Yeah, yeah. But if you're in a little bus, you can literally stop for 10 minutes. You can get going again. So during a day, you can make up a lot of time. And we had a bit of time the one time at the, and we and I detoured down to the Gharib Dam. And we stopped on the wall, and there's a beautiful little view site we can see over the sluice gates down the valley, and the other side you got the water. And out pops this little guy from, from a little doorway somewhere. He says, um, would you like to come and have a look at the wall? <laughs> yeah. Okay, sounds cool, everybody. Yeah, nice. Yeah, let's go. And this guy took us on an impromptu tour down into the damn wall. Okay. Nice. And he took us through, and then there's old viewing rooms and there's old interpretive centers. And you can see the generators down there and the working of the sluice gates. And he actually opened one of the sluice gates for us when we were down there. Yeah. And we popped back up again. And it is truly an amazing construction. It's actually quite scary when you're diving into this wall. I mean, 73 meters of, of concrete, and you've got this little yeah. rabbit tunnel, and you've got these real industrial lights stuck on the wall. And yeah. you're going down little passages and more stairs down and then another little passage and another staircase <laughs> and little passages leading off. And you're going, wow, better not lose this guy because I'll never find my way out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that was just one of those, those little happenings. It used to, you know, it used to be called the, the Hendrik Vervoort Dam. But uh, that name was obviously changed. Yeah. And it's a French, a French construction. French, French company built it. A French company by, called by Dumez. Built that thing. Okay. 101.73 million cubic meters of, con of concrete went into the construction wow. of that damn wall. That's a lot. That's a, that is a lot. That's a lot. 370 square kilometers of water surface on the thing. So it does, it does supply um, hydroelectric power. There are some generators in there. 90 megawatts of generators are <coughs> built into the wall. So... Uh, it's a kind of interesting little spot to stop at. Yeah. And there's a couple of nice little places in town. Uh, obviously, the, that's where the Kharib River goes through some mountains and stuff. That's where you build a dam to, because that that's, you can hold hold back the water. Yeah. So you've got some beautiful view sites. The town itself is a straggle of little huts and houses, and, and there's a nice little hotel on the top there with a beautiful veranda where you can actually have a look out over the dam and enjoy some lunch or some drinks or something. Yes. So it's, it's, it's definitely worth the stop getting off the, off the N1. And again, we mentioned the RSAPS disease. Get rid of RSAPS disease and stop <laughs> and bother to go visit a couple of these places yeah. and have a look around. <clears throat> then we hit one of the more sobering spots again, and we've, we've chatted about this one a couple of times, is Springfontein. 
Just before you get into Springfontein, you've got a little spot called Prior Grange. You'll see the little blockhouse again up on the top of a hill there. And there's a little guest house just off the off the side there as well. And it's one of the guys with a very, very good collection, private collection of Anglo-Boer War artifacts. And it's because Springfontein was actually the site of one of the concentration camps during the Anglo-Boer War. Oh, yes, that's right, yeah. The concentration camps were, again, a result of the Boer mobility and moving over to a guerrilla type of warfare, and the British had no answer, so they decided to use a kind of scorched-earth policy to burn the farms, kill the livestock, and yeah. depopulate the countryside <laughs> so that the commandos and the mobile Boer forces wouldn't be able to resupply. Yes. And... They created, by doing this, they created a refugee problem because now the women and children left on the farms had nowhere to go. So they were yeah. more or less forced into what the British euphemistically called a refugee camp, kind of a forced yeah. refugee camp. So, I mean, I mean, even now today, you, you put something up on some of the history, history posts and you're going to get 500 answers of yeah. guys swearing at you and carrying on about the, about the, the concentration camps. Yeah. But... Women and children were put into these camps and arrived at these camps and put into the camps and forcibly removed into the camps. And just through neglect, pure neglect, disease, lousy food, bad living conditions, yeah. we then um, had a huge death rate in these concentration camps. And one of the cemeteries that you can visit there is in Springfontein. It's a bit of a mission to get to it. You've got to go through the township and through a donga and under a bridge and around some electrical pylons. But you arrive there okay. and it is meticulously maintained by the British War Graves Commission. Yeah. South Africa needs to do something like that for our graves. Yes. The British obviously look after the British side of it. Yeah. And that is always meticulously looked after. <laughs> but Springfontein's also got one of the more sobering little cemeteries there, which is the Children's Cemetery. And it's out on the other side of town. Yes. And that's where the unbaptized children were buried. They weren't allowed oh, yeah. to be buried with the that's rest right, of the people. Yeah. They hadn't been baptized. And you go into there, and there's this, this rows of tiny little boxes, concrete blocks, yeah. of all these tiny babies that died in those concentration camps. That's horrible. And that's, that's horrible. Yeah. It's just very, very sobering to stand there. And again, Springfontein was a railway junction. Spring, as in spring, water spring. It was a railway yeah. junction where the locos would re, re-water at the time. But again, you know, that's, that, that's all disappeared. Tromsberg. Yeah. Tromsberg. There we go. Great yeah. Trek monument again. 1988 monument. Not the, 30, not the other one. 1988. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I see we're almost out of time again. Almost out of time. Yeah, yeah we've still got five minutes or so. <clears throat> do, we start, do we start a little bit early today? Yeah. And then, then okay, I've got, I've got Edinburgh to go through. Give me, give me a chance to finish off Edinburgh. Okay, let's do it. So you've got, you got um, Tromsberg. And Trom, Tromsberg is one, is one of my little spots that I always use as a... As my refueling spot when I'm coming out of Johannesburg, because it's just south of Bloemfontein. Yeah. And Bloemfontein's a terrible stop. And I always go sh- shooting past Bloemfontein, 100 k's down the road is Edinburgh. So we're almost in Bloem. Yeah. But uh, Edinburgh has got an Anglo Boer War monument, it's got a cent- and a centenary monument. <coughs> so the Anglo Boer War monument, obviously, 1899 1902 conflict. Yeah. In South Africa. Then you also got the centenary and. 
That, that was the centenary of the town. Edinburgh was established in, in 1863. 1963 is obviously the centenary of that thing. And the other interesting part of that thing is they've got a 1952 Van Riebeek Festival Monument. Now, those you okay. don't see often. Yeah. There's the Great Trek ones all over the place. The, the 1938 yeah. one, the 1988 one, you've got those Great Trek commemorations all over the place. Yes. But the 1952 Van Riebeek Festival Monument, you hardly see. Yeah. And obviously, 1652 was when Van Riebeek <coughs> arrived. And as you see, he, he wrote in his diary at the start of the, <laughs> the yeah. podcast about the wine that he, that he made. <laughs> but uh, 1952 was much the same thing. Replica coaches that traveled all over, all over South Africa, leaving their mark. And yes. uh, it's just interesting to me that you, don't just, you just don't see that one. Um, yeah. As often as you see the Great Trek one, and the only um, kind of kind of reference that I, that I found to this one is that you know, I mean, for Riebeck, the arrival of von Riebeck was obviously the first permanent settlement of Europeans yeah. in South Africa. However, the <coughs> arrival of Europeans goes back to Diaz. Yeah. So maybe it's that it's not considered. Like the first arrival thing, I don't know, yeah. and not considered that important. But it's just an interesting one to me that of all the funny little towns, a little place like, like Edinburgh yeah. has then got one of these very, very rare Van Rieberg monuments. And then, like I said, now we're just short of Bloemfontein. And then uh, I think, we're, yeah, let's carry on with the N1 next week again or next podcast. Yes. And maybe, maybe we can cover all the way through Bloom up to Bitebridge. There's some really interesting spots up that part of the world as well. Yeah. Awesome, Diederik. Uh, thanks for coming in again. And, uh, yeah, let's uh, see you next week again. Uh, guys, hope you li listened and enjoyed.